chapter 3, verses 10 through 17. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim of life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Lord, we ask this evening, first of all, that you would be pleased with our worship that we bring to you. Worship through prayer, worship through song, worship through meditation, worship through communion, worship all of these ways focused upon you and desiring that you would be glorified through us gathering together here this evening as your church. And Lord, in light of that, Lord, would you also do your work of sanctifying us through all of these ways that we worship you, our prayers, our songs, our hearing and meditating on your word, our partaking of the Lord's Supper. Lord, like your word says here, that we're going to look at. We do desire to live a godly life, and so we need your strength to do it because we know what comes with that is much spiritual difficulty. Lord, we can't do it without you. We're incapable without you. So, Lord, please impart to us even now, your Holy Spirit, that we might be strengthened, that we might grow, that we might become exactly like what your word tells us you will do as we hear your word, become complete and equipped for every good work. Lord, we love you and we thank you for the grace and the abundant mercy that you've shown to us. We love you. We praise you in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, last week we kind of looked at a bunch of rascals, didn't we? (laughs) Some troublemakers in the church and how that we're to avoid such people, what these kind of people are going to be like, how we can identify them, how as a minister, a pastor, I'm supposed to deal with them, and then how as a congregation we can deal with them as well. And so that's why we come to this first point of contrast in verse 10, right? You, however, okay? Doesn't, it's not said in a vacuum. In contrast to all the 
the, the deceivers, the false teachers, the people who would want to come in, wolves we might want to call them if we want to use Acts 20 language, these people are going to come within the church, but you, true believers, you, Timothy, you, instead, in contrast to them, you followed his teaching, Paul's conduct, his aim of life, <clears throat> his faith, his patience, his love, his steadfastness, his persecutions and sufferings that all happened to him at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. And you know some of these situations. You know, Lystra is where he eventually encountered Timothy. So Timothy really did understand the persecutions that Paul went through there in Lystra. Antioch and Iconium. But first of all, it says that he followed all of these things. Now, this, although we understand it was intended by Paul to be read by the churches, there's always elements of personal notes within the context of the pastoral epistles. And this is one such note, although I think it certainly applies to all of us, at least ways that we should aspire to. Let me say this real quick before we walk through this. It's, it's not bad to have spiritual heroes and spiritual people who we look to and admire in the faith. Okay, there's, there's really nothing wrong with that. What we don't want to do is idolize them and put them in the place of Jesus and look to their words before we look to Scripture, right? But there's everything right with looking to other godly men who over the years have written well or have pastored well. <clears throat> I think of several examples in my own life on a popular level. I think of R.C. Sproul and I look at his writings and his teachings and man, I, he, he's just a guy that I see. He takes the hard stuff and puts it right down here for just about the every man to be able to understand and grasp. He's a man who all throughout his life never had a whiff of scandal which is becoming more and more rare, it seems like, in the American church. He's just a good, godly man. And everywhere he went, he was a person who seemed to want to see people to know God better. I think also of the president of my Bible college, who none of you were ever going to know, but Larry Taylor, he was one who um, imparted to me, especially in those early formative years of my Christian walk and Christian faith, so much understanding of grace, of mercy, a love for the word. I mean, he was an impeccable student of the word. And if you were to sit down and talk with him, he was always coming back to, well, this is what the scripture says. This is what scripture says. This is what Jesus says. And that's something I want to emulate. Hopefully, if you talk with me for any length of time, <clears throat> you've seen that, that when questions come up, we want to go, well, what does Scripture say? And that's, of course, the context of this passage that we're looking at here this evening. And so it isn't wrong to have people who we do follow in the faith. And we want to follow them as much as we can here, like Timothy seemed to follow Paul. Paul's encouraging him in this. This is in Scripture, so I'm not assuming that Paul was in error here when he was telling Timothy that he was wise in doing these things. But first of all, Paul's teaching. 
It's, I, I don't think that this is like Paul laying out a, you know, a logical linear progression of the way you know, Timothy's faith should have gone, like the book of Romans or something. But I do think that it is interesting that he begins with teaching. <clears throat> because to be perfectly honest, I, that's something that I would want all of you to do as well as to follow my teaching. Because insofar as I'm opening up scripture and teaching scripture rightly, that's where I want you to go. That's what I want you to follow. And I believe Paul was doing the same thing as he was wanting Timothy to follow his teaching. He was congratulating, he was encouraging him to continue in his teaching because Paul's teaching was from Scripture. You remember there when he was talking to the Ephesian elders again in Acts chapter 20, he says, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of the word of God. That's the kind of teaching that we want to have, that you want to have, that you want to hear, that I want to impart as a pastor. The teaching straight from the scriptures, from the word of God. What does the scripture say? And then secondly, his conduct, because we've said it, I don't know how many times, but doctrine dictates lifestyle, right? What you believe will come out in the way you live your life. So if you come here on a Sunday and you say you believe certain things, you confess certain things, you partake of the Lord's Supper, it will come out in your actions and the way you live throughout the week if that's actually true or not. What's in your heart? Conduct, meaning that are we people who are quick to repent, who are sensitive to the commandments of the Lord and want to seek to follow his commandments? Jesus says his commandments aren't burdensome, right? Jesus says in John chapter 15 that his commandments are to give us joy because they bear much fruit. They bring forth fruit from us. And so following what the scripture teaches us to do isn't burdensome. It isn't weighty or difficult. It's a joy to read what the Bible says and to do it. Paul's aim in life. Now we know what this is. He says in the book of 2 Corinthians, that he, when he arrived to Corinth, determined, pardon me, it's in 1 Corinthians, determined to know nothing among them except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He determined to know nothing among the Corinthians except Jesus Christ and him crucified. His aim in life, I think whether it was sewing seams in a tent, in canvas, or whether it was standing on the street corner and proclaiming the truth of God's word, it was all to glorify God so that he would have an opportunity to present the gospel of Jesus Christ. That should be our aim in life and what we do in our employment, what we do when we're at home with our kids, what we do when we're going to the grocery store or we're walking and taking a hike up in the foothills or whatnot. <clears throat> The aim of life, I think, is well summed up in the phrase to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Right? I think it's well summed up in that. I think Paul would agree with that. His aim in life was to glorify God and enjoy him forever, which is why he aimed to know nothing amongst people except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Which brings us to his faith. Man, Paul was a man of faith. I, you know, I, 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 have, I have been um, verbally assaulted 
for being a Christian? Vehemously, vigorously, vigorously. That's the right word. I remember one time we were in San Francisco and we were sharing the gospel with some people. And I thought I might have, you know, it was going to come to blows. It didn't. But there was a minute where I was like, okay, this might go there. And it, praise God, it didn't. So I have never been physically assaulted for my faith. I can imagine that would be a difficult thing to go through. Paul, I mean, gee whiz, that guy, he went through it round and round and round, stoned to death. In Lystra, and God raised him back up from the dead. At least I think that's what the text is teaching us happened to him there. That's faith. That is a radical confidence in the Lord. Now, I struggle with my faith when, you know, I'm, I, I, you know, I'm discouraged by certain things that go on in my life. You know, I think one of the things that we see here, his persecutions in uh, verse 11, we read in verse 12 that all desire who to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And we don't particularly experience such persecution here in America. And I think that it's helpful that Joel sang us or had it led us in that song by John Newton because I think that that is a way that the Lord uses to sanctify us when persecution is not just readily available. It wasn't for John Newton in his day in England that the Lord will give us over to our sinful ways and sinful devices, giving us over even to Satan so that we at the end go, ah, what are you doing, Lord? And we have to depend more on him. We realize how sinful our hearts really are and we realize the desperation that we need for him. You see, physical persecution and threat of death will bring that out of you. And when we don't have that, the Lord uses other means at his disposal in order to sanctify us and focus us upon him. And that can be oftentimes showing us the desperate evils of our heart. His patience and his love. Patience is a good thing. Don't ever let anybody tell you don't pray for patience. Okay? You have my permission to box that person. If somebody says, whoa, 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 don't pray for patience. (laughs) It's one of the fruit of the Spirit, people. Here, Timothy is encouraged to follow Paul's patience. People don't like bad things happening, and so they think, oh, well, God's going to bring bad things in order to strengthen your patience. Well, yeah, if you're that weak, then yes. The Lord certainly might do that, and he has every right, and he has every freedom to do it. He doesn't owe you an easy life. He doesn't owe you smooth byways and highways. It's by his grace you get to breathe his air. It's by his grace you get to sit here and listen to his word being preached. We should be grateful for the blessings we certainly do have. But when tough times come, we certainly should fall back on the fact God is good. He is faithful. I can trust him. I will be patient and I will endure this. Because of him, you see, it's not a grit your teeth resolve. It's not an American pull yourself up by your own bootstraps kind of idea. It's a patience and confidence in God Almighty and his sure word that what he began in me, he will be faithful to complete in me. So don't let anybody tell you don't pray for patience. Pray for it regularly and pray for it often. And his love. Man, Paul had a 
a love. How about Romans 9? It says, what about the Jews? Have they been cast off? Paul says he wishes that he could be accursed for them. He, would, he says, and I have no reason to doubt him in this. I don't think it's hyperbole. I really believe Paul thought he would damn himself to hell forever if it meant his brethren would be saved, the Jews. That's a love. Because what did they do to him? Well, the moment he became a Christian and turned from being a Pharisee, he had to climb down, a, he had to crawl out of town in a basket. Remember that? They had to lower him down in a basket for they were trying to kill him at the gate. Right then, day one, how do you do, Mr. Christian? <laughs> and then from then on, it was nothing but persecution and trial and struggle for him. But his steadfastness is a firm also foundation in the confidence that God is faithful, that God is worth it. That's maybe a better way of saying it. God is worth it. When we go through the difficulties and we go through the trials of life, is is that the reminder maybe we need more often than not is God is worth it. This is hard. This is dark. This is difficult. I don't understand, Lord. But I know you and I know you're worth it. And then his persecutions and sufferings. So you, Paul says to Timothy, you, in contrast to all the rascals we read about last week, you have followed his teaching, <coughs> conduct, aim in life, faith, patience, love, steadfastness, persecutions, and sufferings. The Lord yet rescued him from all of them. That's particularly poignant because he's about to be beheaded right you you know this epistle was his last one that we he wrote and here he's sitting in the jail just awaiting his execution and he's confident that the lord rescued him out of all but here he understands he's probably going to die we'll see that when we get to chapter the end of chapter four but he's not woe is me He knows God rescued him before, but he's confident in what God is going to do through the message that he's proclaimed and what he's going to do. And he's probably looking forward to go home to glory. And then a message that probably isn't in very many of your everyday promise Bible memorization little cards or calendars. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. Pardon me, in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's not one of the promises many people latch on to. <laughs> it's probably one that we should be more aware of and more familiar with, though. Those all indeed who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, I want to live a godly life. I do. I try to make it a habit to be quick to repent and quick to believe, to follow the Lord in his word, his will, his ways. His words in Peter echo in my ear and in my mind, be holy for he is holy. 
And so when the Bible commands something, I want to try to follow it. When it tells me don't do something, I want to try not to do it. So I desire to live a godly life, but with it doesn't, you hear what I'm saying, it doesn't come with health and wealth. It doesn't come with prosperity and a bed of roses. It comes most of the time with persecution. And don't mistake it because we live in a, Still, I mean, we still do today in America, we still do live in kind of a Christian bubble of a Disneyland. We still really do. Most of the world doesn't have the same kind of joys and freedoms and privileges that we do. You know, even when we were going over to the UK, it's a closed country. You can't preach the gospel out in the open there very readily. They've arrested people just for simply preaching the gospel in the streets of Scotland and England. So just because it's a first world country doesn't mean that there isn't persecution going on. But we've experienced this happy little time these last 200 years here in our nation free from persecution. But if the Lord wills, that might continue, praise God. But he doesn't owe us that. And he hasn't promised us that. What he's promised Christians is that they will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Evil people, imposters, people who sneak in to spy out the liberty that we have, Paul says. They will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. That is a great explanation of those who don't follow Christ. They are deceived themselves and then they heap for themselves teachers. The Bible says we'll look at as to want to tickle their ears, Lord willing, next week. <clears throat> tickle their ears. But what that means is continue their deception. They don't want to come to the truth. They're rebels against the Lord. Arthur and I were talking about this just the other day. Is that people are rebels in, against the Lord in their heart. And by nature, they know that there is a God. They can even acknowledge him that he's a God, but they deny him. They turn their back on him and they rebel against him. And so all of the truth that they know about God from nature, in their conscience, from scripture, only stands to condemn them. And so what do they do? Rather than wallowing in that condemnation, they suppress the truth, according to Romans 1, and they heap to themselves teachers who will tell them what they want to hear. Words that will make them feel better about themselves. And Satan will use any old type of which way nonsense he can muster. Right? He'll get people believing in the power of crystals sitting on some rock up on the mountain. Saying some hootenanny kind of nonsense. Right? And he'll, tell, and he'll tell other people there is absolutely no God and they'll be the most militant atheist. They'll tell people you can become a god of your own planet. They'll tell people, no, Christ has already returned and, and you just need to listen to our message. Everything in between, you see, except the truth of the scripture itself. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you <clears throat> Pardon me, wise for salvation 
through faith in Christ. Beloved, a godly family is a rich legacy. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. I, you know, I, I marvel when people tell me that they've had believing family go back many, many, many generations. You know? I'm, I'm grateful that my parents took me to a church. I wasn't saved in that church, but took me to a church. And I'm grateful that they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ even here and even right now. As Christians, we're to teach our children scriptural principles. That might mean we make them memorize big batches of scripture. That might mean we live lives that are a godly example. It might mean that we try to impart principles that are truths. And so that when they come of age, when my kids grow up, Lord willing, they would trust in Christ as Lord and Savior as well that they would look to him as their savior, not to dad as Pastor Pat or to mom as Andy and Christian loving Jesus wife. (laughs) Is that a good title for you, wife? (laughs) Okay. Um, But they would love the Lord. And that's what we would want for all of our kids. We pray for them regularly. I encourage you, pray for your children all the time. And I know you do. Teach them the scriptures. Teach them the truths. From childhood, they should have been acquainted with sacred writings. Now, in Paul, when he's talking to Timothy here, the sacred writings means the Old Testament. But he says all scripture is breathed out here in verse 16. And I think there is kind of a contrast there. He's talking, first of all, Timothy was raised under the Old Testament scriptures, right? So he would have heard passages like Genesis chapter 22, You know that story well, I'm sure. Abraham taking Isaac (coughs) up onto the mountain to sacrifice him and then God stopping him at the last minute and the wonderful imagery of Jesus Christ that's there in that passage. They would have been familiar with King David, right? I mean, we see, I don't know how many times when the apostles preach the gospel in the New Testament, they start oftentimes with King David. Because Jesus is the king in the lineage of David, fulfilling the Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel. He would have been familiar with passages like Isaiah 53 that talk about Christ or the Messiah as the suffering servant. And so Timothy would have known these passages. And so when Paul came to town and began to teach him the truth, the fulfillment of those what were types and shadows under the old covenant, his eyes were opened and it was revealed to him, oh, I understand these things now. So Paul here is commending (coughs) the godly heritage that Timothy had in his grandmother and his mother raising him up in the sacred texts that made him wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. One thing, just a little bonus, a little side note, while I have and have given out those little new t- pocket New Testaments, I call them amputated Bibles because <laughs> they have amputated the entire Old Testament. 
Now, I understand the point of them is they're easy to give out, they're small, they're handy, and it's the New Testament, so you're going to immediately get right into the Gospels, which is not a bad thing, don't misunderstand. However, the sacred writings in the Old Testament were able to make one wise to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. You see, even if you've read the Old Testament, you are still without excuse. It still is enough light to draw you, especially now with the knowledge of the gospel, to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And so we come to verse 16, and this is a favorite verse of so many people who read and teach and study the Bible. It was on the back of um, our Bible College t-shirts. This text was there, and it was the warp and woof of how we lived in Bible college times. And it's not a bad thing. It's a good text to have focused on that. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. All scripture from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21, the entire thing is the scriptures that we need for life and godliness. We have nothing else but this. We don't have our own wisdom, our own intellect. Now, one of the things that we do want to understand and know, and I guess this is as good a place to say this as any, is that the Bible, although it is profitable for all these things it doesn't tell you every single thing to do does it right so if i open it up i'm not going to find what kind of car should i buy for lily in there right i'm not going to find a chapter and a verse unless i point to that one that says that jesus were all in the accord right but then that scripture doesn't apply for the last two thousand years of church history because there was no honda accords you see so what does so it doesn't do that. It doesn't tell me which wife to marry, right? I didn't do one of them little jobbies where you kind of and poke your finger down on the text and verily, verily, go out and marry a thandy. You know? Didn't have that. I remember one story in, from Bible college, and I've heard this other places before, but I heard it actually, and maybe it's just a thing, I, and I'm just ignorant of it but you know somebody decided on this gal he was going to marry so he marched around her seven times and so that her walls of love or whatever would fall down and that he would be able to march in and marry her or something i don't know but you know that people do them kind those texts aren't for that so my point is is that all scripture is breathed out by god but we need to be wise in how we use it right there's foolish ways to use the scripture. This is one of the ways where you do this little jobby and you point down to the text and it says, hold on a second. And when, the great ca- when a great crowd was gathering and people from town to town came after him, he said in a parable, the sower went out to sow seed. And so I'm like, what job should I do? Oh no, I know I'm supposed to go be a farmer. Sorry, Andy, we're moving to Idaho so I can go farm or Iowa or something, you, you see. That's not the way we're to use scripture, okay? <clears throat> How are we to use scripture? Well, first of all, we're to use scripture with the understanding that all of it is inspired by God. The red letters aren't more inspired than the black letters. 
if you have a red letter Bible. And if you don't know what that means, what that means is some editions of the Bible printed in English have helpfully tried to guide you to see the words of Jesus. And so they have highlighted them in red rather than in black in some editions of scripture. But there are some people today who call themselves red letter Christians and they happen to fall oddly enough into the more very progressive and liberal bent. Tony Campolo would be one example of one of these red letter Christians. And, and they have virtually denied the faith, most of them. Um, but there's not parts of scripture that are more inspired than others. All scripture has been breathed out by God. It doesn't mean that God automatically possessed them and John was suddenly out of control and was like, whoa, didn't know what he was writing, of course. God's inspiration is such that he used the people that he made, their own personalities, their own bents, their own makeups, their own proclivities, in order to get exactly what he wanted written, written in the way he wanted it, at the time he wanted it. It's magnificent. It's marvelous that we have scripture the way we do here for us. It's profitable for us. It's profitable for teaching. First of all, for instruction. If you're anything like me, you ask a lot, Lord, what should I do? What do I do here, Lord? Lord, what do I think here? Well, the scripture is profitable for teaching. That doesn't mean I'm going to open up my Bible and it's going to immediately give me an answer, but it is profitable to teach me in the way I should go, in the way I should think, in the way I should learn, and the way I should understand. <clears throat> in Romans chapter 12, it tells us that we need to be washed by the renewing water of the word, right? We need that our minds to be renewed over and over. And so if we don't have this scripture teaching us and informing us and guiding us, then what do we have teaching us and informing us and guiding us? It's going to be the world. It's going to be the enemy. It's going to be your own flesh looking for, by default, you're not, your flesh is not going to go seek scripture out to be taught but you being a born again individual with a new spirit being a new creature in Christ Jesus need to make it a point that this is what we regularly take in so that we can deny our flesh so that we can grow in godliness so that we can live a holy and godly life in Christ Jesus so it's profitable for teaching the scripture is also profitable for reproof reproof this is a instruction with a little more oomph. Okay, that's my cookies on the lower shelf way of defining it. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a warning. It's, it's a warning. It's a lot like Hebrews, right? When we were reading through the book of Hebrews, it says, let us beware lest we deny so great a salvation that we've been given to us, right there in chapter two of the book of Hebrews, if you remember that. It, it reproofs us, it, it warns us, it buffers us, it keeps us on the right path. It keeps us going in the direction that we ought to. It's like discipline, but positive discipline. Whereas the next one for correction is more like negative discipline. 
right? The first one is a warning. It's a reproof. It's before you get squirrely, here's a word of warning. After you get squirrely, here's getting you back on track, right? Getting you back on the path. We need both of these. And I look to scripture for both these. If you reproof me, someday you'll do it with scripture. If you correct me, it'll be you bringing scripture to me and saying, well, what about this here? Look what you did here, Pat. Here's what the word says here. And you know what? I'll probably have already thought it and been guilty of it and convicted of it and just had been uh, stubborn a minute and... Sometimes I need not only the scriptures, but people to come alongside and reproof and correct me. And you do too. All of us do. And scripture alone is what does that. It also trains us in righteousness. To be honest, I, oftentimes I don't know what the righteous thing to do is sometimes. Sometimes you have two decisions and they seem like they could both be okay. I don't know. And so I need to look to scripture and find principles in there, find places where people have had similar dilemmas or similar decisions so that I can find out for myself. That the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. The scripture teaches us so many things. It teaches us how to do good works. You know, the Bible is so vast and so rich. We come away from a text like this. And I remember in my young, zealous days, this being a text where I was like, yeah, teach, reproof, correct, let's do it. And I was, you know, we're looking for people to reproof and correct. And, <laughs> and maybe people were looking to me and I need to reproof and correct this guy. But you know what? The scripture also contains passages like being patient and kind and loving and gentle and tender. Love covers a multitude of sins. So scripture is so multifaceted. There might be a time and a place where the right thing to do is, man, I've got to stop Joel right now and I've got to get him over here and he's got to hear this word. There might be other times where it's like, well, let's just wait and see what the Lord does and the Lord works that out all on his own. And what the Lord, the reason I knew about it is so I could pray about that situation. That person's never the wiser. I don't know. But there's so many. You, you, this, this one text here could easily be a whole sermon series in and of itself. And so what am my encouragement to you tonight as we finish this up is to have confidence in your Bible. I mean, I, really, I don't doubt that you guys do, but I want you to have confidence in your scripture. So that as you, you read it and you study it and you think about it and you meditate on it, that, that you know that this is forming and it's shaping and it's changing you and it's bringing you into this place of change so that you can do the same thing in the lives of other people as well. All in all, so we can grow more and more in Christ's likeness. The word of God is everything that we need for all of life's troubles and all of everything that comes in life. Like I said earlier, it doesn't give us every single answer that we need, but it gives us the prescript that we can look to and find wisdom to guide us as we're led by the Spirit to make every decision that we need to make. And so we look to the Word of God, we're encouraged by the Word of God, and we pray that we would be equipped also for every good work. Right, Ben? Lord, 
We love you because you first loved us. <coughs> Your word is remarkably true and remarkably faithful, Lord. And we know that we can look into this sacred text, this book, this Bible that we have here in front of us and that we can confidently be assured that everything that we need for our lives you've given to us and everything that we need to know you has been given to us. That this isn't just instruction book for our life, but this is the way and means that you've revealed yourself to us so that we might know you better. And because we know you better, we're able to grow thereby. Father, we praise you and we ask for your blessing to be upon us, our families. May we be led in the truth of your word. In your name, amen.